Today we're going to start out in the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians and we'll be focusing on the first 11 verses of that particular book but our verse that we're going to center on is toward the center of that section and it is 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 9 Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. If you'll pray with me, now Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations deep within all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. So we find ourselves in the, the original, or the introduction, to 2 Corinthians. In the last half of his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul had made a, an odd statement. And in that, he said, If from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Now, Paul may have been speaking of actual wild beasts, but many of the top scholars believe this was a metaphor for what he actually had encountered in Ephesus. Now this encounter that he had had, which I'm sure frightened Paul quite a bit, can be found in Acts chapter 19. Now we have to remember that while the book of Acts was written by Luke, that Paul was also writing letters during this time. So a lot of the times, Paul's letters can be traced back into Acts to see what exactly was going on as the missionary journeys continued and progressed. In this particular section, Luke wrote, About that time there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. Now, Artemis was the Greek god of the moon, a twin sister of Apollo in Greek mythology. And at this point, there was a lot of people that were worshiping the Greek gods. And Artemis was one that they had attributed to her being the goddess of the hunt, the goddess of the wilderness, the goddess of wild animals, the goddess of nature, the goddess of vegetation, the goddess of childbirth, childcare, and chastity. So she had a very big place in their culture. So again, I'll read uh, verse 24 again after saying that for a man named Demetrius a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis was bringing no little business to the craftsmen these he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said men you know that our prosperity depends upon this business so immediately they're talking about money that their their money and their income is riding on these silver shrines of Artemis. He continued, You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people, 
saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. Not only is there danger that this trade of ours fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless, and that she whom all of Asia and the world worship will even be dethroned from her magnificence. So now their God is being challenged as well as their, their prosperity. When they heard this and were filled with rage, they began crying out, saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed with one accord into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. And when Paul wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples would not let him. Also, some of the Ezriarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and repeatedly urged him not to venture into the theater. So then, some were shouting one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and the majority did not know for what reason they had come together. So, Paul had basically, with his preaching, had started changing a culture. And he was starting to affect people's lives. He was starting to affect people's incomes, which would affect their way of life. And he was affecting their God. And they were not looking to just have a, a debate with Paul. They were not looking to see, you know, if maybe they could change Paul's mind. They were looking to eradicate Paul. That he needed to be gone. So when Paul, in this, the opening section of 2 Corinthians... He was well, actually in 1 Corinthians when he was talking about these wild beasts at Ephesus. This is what he ran into that they weren't really acting like humans, they weren't acting humanely, they were acting like wild animals that were looking to kill and destroy him, trying to protect anything and everything that they had. And this, in this, uh, culture that he run into and these people that were trying to destroy him made him think that he was going to be killed and that his ministry was going to prematurely come to an end in Ephesus because they were going to get him and they were going to kill him. Now the, the <coughs> Corinthians at this point would have been aware of what happened. You know these cities aren't super 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 far apart. So they would have been aware of what happened, but it would have all been secondhand that they were given this information. And as we know, with secondhand information, sometimes the, the severity of the situation can be downplayed, making it not look as bad as it was, and sometimes it can be upplayed and making it sound worse than it was. So in the beginning of this letter, you know, Paul was, or at the end of the last letter, excuse me, Paul was telling them this, this was bad. This was bad. He starts in uh, verse 8, immediately before the verse that we just read. He wrote, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, 
that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. So Paul was informing them there, seeing as how they had already heard of what went on, that yeah, this is this is was a close to death. This was a savage, unruly mob that was coming after me. And that this ministry looked like it was going to end prematurely. That there wasn't going to be this second letter to you people because of what went on. And the very fact that the end of Paul was looking imminent at that time, that he was not going to make it out of Ephesus, and that he was done, that the Lord was done using him, and he was going to die, and the ministry was coming to an end. There is really no way humanly to escape what Paul faced. There is no way to outthink the situation and have some scheme or some plan to, to get out of the situation. There is no emotional plea or response that he could give to these people to get them to emotionally stop deciding that they are going to kill him and, and end Paul's life. And there was no physical way Paul was getting out of it. He couldn't go to war with them. He couldn't fist fight them all because there was a mob of them and just a few of him and a couple of the guys that he was with. So there was no way physically to get out of the situation. And we know that Paul, through his ministry, had faced many, many, many slanders against him, against his character. They slandered his integrity. And there was many attempts to dismiss and or completely eradicate Paul's authority. So if Paul's life would have ended in Ephesus at that point, it would have possibly stopped the spreading of the gospel to the level that Paul was spreading it. And at this point, the gospel was spreading faster, as they say, than a freight train. And the gospel was going forth with power and might. So as you could probably understand, Paul was under an enormous amount of stress, under an enormous amount of pressure, under an enormous amount of worry. And he never knew. He never knew. Just a, a quick browsing of the book of Acts, you can see that, that Paul was from town to town to town was in trouble with the local townspeople. In a letter to the Corinthians, he talked about how many times he was beaten and stoned and shipwrecked and you name it. There was always some sort of attempt to stop the spreading of the gospel and always an attempt on Paul's life. So he never really knew when his last day was. He never knew what trial was coming and when, when the trials or trials that he was under would end. There is always something going on when it pertained to Paul. Now does any of this sound familiar? Not just in the ministry of Paul, but in our own lives. That there always seems to be something going on.
there always seems to be something to stop us from witnessing of our risen Savior. Something that always seems to be coming along that takes our focus off God and off Jesus Christ and puts that focus onto our present situations and our problems. You know, that, and we never know. We never know a whole lot about life. And uh, the so many of the facets that come at us from our lives and, and come at us from all directions. So I ask you this question. Who can you trust? It's one of them questions that we always ask. Who can we trust in this world? We ask ourselves, what is truth? We ask ourselves, where can we find truth? Well, to the answer of who can you trust, you can trust Jesus Christ. You can trust God, and you can trust His Word. What is true? The Gospel of Christ is true. And where do you find this truth? You find it in your Bibles. Paul had to put complete trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he had to put this trust in that gospel that he preached as we must. The intro to this book, after Paul had talked about himself being an apostle by the will of God, that Timothy was with him, that the introduction was written to the church of God at Corneth and all the saints who are throughout Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. This is how he started out the letter. He starts talking about the comforts of the Lord in verse 4, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort from which we ourselves are comforted by God. Comforted in affliction by God. And he tells us that so we know that we, we too, can comfort those in similar afflictions. It's like a support group for Christians. That we can pray for one another, that we have prayer, that we have scripture that we can read, that we can listen to others and be that listening ear that others need. That God may have brought us through a similar trial, similar tribulation that He can now bring others through. He continued on in verse 5, For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. What he's saying here is that the greater our suffering, the greater the comfort and reward. You have to look at it as 
God comforting us for a hangnail or us finding comfort in the Lord through cancer. Or perhaps if you think that you're broke and have no money and five dollars will get you through, you're gonna have you're gonna have less comfort and less reward than if you trust in God when you are trusting him for like the widows did for more flour to make a last loaf of bread before you starve to death. And many sufferings always seem never-ending. Paul had them, we'll have them. And it's in these sufferings that seem never-ending when we can rely on each other and the people that have been through these sufferings, but we can also rely and should rely heavily on Christ. Verse 6, but if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or, if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. With God and leaning on Him and with Jesus Christ leaning on Him, our sufferings, our trials, our tribulations will lead us to godly patience and a godly endurance. It's going to lead us to a greater trust in God. It's going to lead us to a point that we know that we can rely on God, that we can rely on Jesus Christ, whatever the world throws at us, whatever the evil one throws at us. And as we've said, this world has gone crazy. There is so much in it that is coming against the very way that, that we think, against the very Bible that we read, against the very God that we worship. Some say that we're possibly even in the end times. But we don't know what the time is. We don't know when Christ shall return. Only God knows. We don't know when this world is going to straighten up, if it ever is going to. And if it does, praise God that we have yet another chance to be right with Him. But if it doesn't, praise God that we have a God that we can rely on. A God that we can rest in His arms. A God that will bring us through these bad times. One of the things that we need to shy away from we need to shy away from and make sure it's not in our thought process of self-pity. When these trials and afflictions start and we go into a woe is me, why me, why now mentality. Was it not Mordecai that said to Esther that you were made for such a time as this? If Mordecai said that to Esther before the cross that God has made you for such a time as this who are we to say that God hasn't made each one of us for this exact time that we're living in that there's a reason that we are here there's a reason that we're doing the things that we're doing our lives are in the here and our lives are in the now 
We're each living our lives as they should be. We're doing the things that God has planned for us. Basically, we're living to grow and growing to live and living to help one another. And the more that we go through, the more we rely on God. All of us can become encouragers of the brethren. Each one of us has a story that we can tell. We've all been through stuff that we can help others get through. And at times I've seen it out of all of us that we have helped people out. That we have been that listening ear. That we've given them godly advice that those of the world would not give. And helped others on their walks. And really think about this. At some point our sufferings, our trials are going to be comforting to others. As we sit and stress and worry, try to stay away from self-pity and try and rely on Jesus. That at some point, some point what we've been through will help another. And not just help them to get through the situation, but it could very well help to strengthen them. It could help to strengthen them in the Lord, help to strengthen their walk. And I'm talking about you. Yes, you. All of you. At some point, at some point, how you handle yourself through any type of suffering, any type of trial, any type of tribulation is going to be an inspiration to another. It's going to be an inspiration to another. You see, Paul went through a lot. He went through a lot of things. As I said earlier, if you look back and realize that the book of Acts is being written during these missionary journeys, as Paul is writing these letters, he is using what he has went through to encourage others, to encourage them in the faith, to encourage them in their walk with Christ. Any day, it could have been Paul's last day, but he didn't focus on that. He never stopped and said, why me, Lord? Why today? Why now? He just kept going, knowing that he had the mission to be on. And that what he was going through that seemed like a burden to him at that point, that what he was going through could in fact, could in fact be an inspiration to others to get them potentially out of self-pity, potentially away from all self-harm, and to bring them into the arms of Christ. And as Paul did this, he didn't sugarcoat, he didn't minimize. He just told them, this is how it was, and this is what the Lord has brought me through. <coughs> and through this, the Corinthians would persevere and overcome their own sufferings and their own trials and their own tribulations. Even though the church in Corinth had caused Paul much pain and much concern, yet they were suffering for righteousness as Paul was. 
There was a brotherhood of suffering, so to speak. And because Paul seen this, and although they'd caused him much pain, Paul did not turn his back on them. But rather he saw the church as people that needed to be helped. And he went in and helped them instead of turning on them. And we see this in many churches today that instead of helping and trying to be an encouragement to others, the Christians would rather attack and destroy fellow Christians than sort out any issues and get back to the mutual fight that we're all in against the enemy and to keep focused on the cross. It's long been said even before I was a Christian that the Christian army is the only army in the world that will kill its wounded. And this mustn't be. We must hold up and courage and support one another and we must be there for one another. But you ask, but how are we to battle our own battles? How are we to fight our own fights? How are we to help others? How are we to pray for others? With all that's going on, it's so overwhelming. And with that, we come back around to where we started when I first read verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Paul's life and ministry was in peril. Paul knows that at some point in his life he will die for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He doesn't know where. He doesn't know when. He literally has so much coming at him that it could have happened at any point in time. Long before he was beheaded in Rome, it could have happened at any point in time that the end could have came. But God kept bringing him through. And his trust in Christ, his trust in God is what brought him through that. He couldn't count on anybody that was with him in his missionary journeys. We see a lot of times in Acts where people have decided that are on these missionary journeys with Paul that they're going to go off in a different direction and leave Paul. Or Paul gets arrested and he's in jail and the, the people with him spread out. So he can't rely fully on them. It's not like he's going to be arrested and they're going to come on and break him out of jail and scurry off into the night. Paul had to rely upon Jesus Christ. He had to rely upon God. And the word in the Greek for this type of trust and this type of hope that Paul had in God and in Christ is elpidzo. It is a deep, deep trust in God. In verse 9, Paul wrote, Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we could not, would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Paul had to put his trust in God and in Jesus Christ. That no matter what was to happen, no matter if the day finally came, whether it was in Ephesus or Rome, or wherever, that when that day finally came, 
that he had to trust that the Lord had done what he had needed Paul to do, that his ministry and his life would come to an end, and that Paul would be released from this life and enter into eternal life where he would spend eternity with Jesus Christ and God the Father. The same God who delivered Paul from the jaws of death over and over and over and over is the same God that we worship today. God is no respecter of persons. The one who called Saul. The one who saved Saul. The one who persevered Paul. And the one who strengthened Paul is the God who calls you. It is the God that saved you. It is the same God that perseveres you, and it's the same God that will strengthen you. We cannot trust in any man-made scientific beliefs that change rapidly. We're told that eggs are bad for us one day and that they're good for us the next, that coffee's bad for us one day, and scientists believe that it's bad for us the next. They tell us the planet's warming, and then five minutes later that the planet is cooling. Science is rapidly changing, but what doesn't rapidly change is God. He was there for Paul. He was there for his apostles. He was there for the Christians that were martyred. He was there for all of them that went out and preached his gospel. They were there. He was there for all of the people that believed. And he's still here for you and for me. Verse 10, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us? He on whom we have set our hope and he will yet deliver us. Where have you set your hope? Where have you set your trust? Where have you set your alpizzo? Have you set it on the world where moth and rust will destroy? Have you set it on science? The same science that in recent years has been proving scripture correct. Will you set it on a holy testament that brings promise of life eternal? On a holy testament that brings promise of a bodily uncorrupted resurrection? On a holy testament that brings the promise of a savior, a lord, and a king? I, as Paul did, place my epistle on Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will be the one that will deliver us from our sufferings. He will be the one delivering us from our trials and tribulations. He who holds the keys to death, hell, and the grave shall deliver us from this life. To those who place their trust in him, heaven awaits an eternity of worshiping God with the saints that have gone before us. Paul closes out his introduction <coughs> in his second letter to the Corinthian church with some strong advice in verse 11. You also joining in helping us through your prayers so that many 
so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. We need to be in prayer for one another. As Paul and the Corinthians were in prayer for each other. We don't need to have an official prayer request at a service. It doesn't have to be spoken. But we need to be in prayer. We need to continue in prayer for one another. We need to pray for each other often. And we need to be available for each other often. We need to be encouraging to one another, encouraging each other to keep going, to keep strong, to keep after the cross of Christ. We need to preach of Christ. We need to witness of Christ and the miracles that God has done in our lives. What He has brought us through, what He is bringing us into. Witnessing of the Son, the cross, and the blood of Christ. Witnessing of His resurrection. And in all of this, your apizo, your trust, must be in Christ and no other. There's no way that we're getting out of this world alive. Ten out of ten people die. There's no way to outthink death. There's no way to find an emotional escape from death. There's no way to physically fight death. Death will come. The only way to overcome death is to place your elpidzo, your trust in the Son of God, who 2,000 years ago hung upon a cross, suspended between heaven and earth, the only doorway to heaven, the only one to come through to be brought into the presence of God. Here, here must all your trust be put in God's Son, the only way to be an overcomer. Paul wrote to the church in Rome in chapter 5, starting out in verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression, for if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through the one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. 
For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Be partakers of this grace. Be partakers of this free gift that cost God so much. Know that God is the one. Jesus Christ is the one who will deliver us from all of these trials and sufferings we see in this life. He is the one who gives help to another. He is the one that holds us up. He is the one that we must put our trust in. The one who died for our sins. Today I urge you and encourage you that no matter what you're going through, the worries of your heart, the thoughts of your mind, that you continue to place your trust, your alpizzo, in God. They continue to cling to Him, that you continue to worship Him, that you continue to pray, and that you will place your hope in Christ at the cross. Amen? Amen. Amen.